Second Timothy. Second Timothy. I'm glad that I'm glad we always have a little bit of jokes going on. So, Second Timothy. We're going to be at Second Timothy in your Bible comes after what book? First Timothy. First Timothy. Okay. So, last Wednesday when we were First Timothy, I tried to cover the background of Timothy and the background of Paul, and so we're not going to re-move, we're not going to move through all of that this evening, but rather we're going to continue on. So if, uh, if some of the background, if you're not really sure, um, Paul is writing. Um, he was probably the biggest figure in the New Testament church, apart from the uh, disciples, the direct disciples. Paul was the one that did three missionary journeys, and upon the first missionary journey, um, he preached at what town where Timothy was at? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? Lystra. Okay, so he was in Lystra. And that is where Timothy and his mom, who was a Jew, and his dad was a Greek. Greek, Greek right? So he was in Lystra. Remember the first missionary journey um, ended badly for Paul as far as his time in Lystra because he got stoned, drug out of town. He gets back up. He goes back into town. The second missionary journey they're coming through. And there's Timothy, a man that had heard, possibly had heard the gospel, had heard the message of Jesus Christ the first time Paul was in town. And now he's growing in his faith. He's maturing in his faith. And so Paul enlists him to help him in these missionary journeys. And we walked through last time how over and over again you see through the book of Acts, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you see it in Thessalonians, you see, you see it in Colossians, you see it in Philippians where Paul references Timothy and Timothy's help and Timothy's presence on the missionary field. And so when we got to 1st Timothy, um, there's how many chapters in 1st Timothy? Six, six, okay? So last time we looked at six different job qualities because what I told you was for a lot of times we talk about these being the pastoral epistles. You got First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus that are really Paul are writing to younger preachers and telling them how to serve in the ministry. So I told you last week when we were First Timothy that when you come to the job description or what does it mean to be a preacher, Timothy or Paul lays out in front of Timothy saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do as a preacher. So last Wednesday, looking at it from this lens of the job description that the pastor of this church, whoever serves in this church, the job description they have, but also what the church should realize is the job description of the people that serve them. And it's important, not only for the preacher, but it's also important for the church to know, hey, this is what God's job description is for the person that is serving us in this pastoral way. So last week in 1 Timothy, we were looking at a job description of a pastor. And then if you were going to try to just kind of come up with a summary statement of 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy would be the job description. 2 Timothy would be Paul writing to tell Timothy, this is how you persevere as a pastor. And this is how you continue to be faithful as a pastor. So the first one was, this is what you're supposed to do. The second one, this is how you persevere as a pastor. But it's not just for the preachers. Hopefully tonight you will see that this is not just written to a preacher, but it's a, it would be applicable to any Christian in the room of how it is that we persevere in our faith. No doubt, maybe to you personally or maybe to other people you know, you know of people that have gone through seasons where they were in church and they were involved in the church and they acted like that they were on the right path, if you will. And then they veered. 
They took a wrong direction, got backslidden, got out of church, got into all kinds of sin. And now you're looking at their life and going, hey, you know what? Five, 10, 15 years ago, you were really being faithful. Lord, what has happened? Why? What is what is taken? What has changed? What has happened now for you to be where you're at? And so there's all kinds of lessons in Second Timothy of how it is that we persevere in the faith. Primarily written, Paul is primarily writing to Timothy, but there's application for all of us in this room about how it is that we persevere in our faith. Now, there's a time gap. So 1 Timothy, most people think, was written around 62 to maybe 64 AD. So you won't find in the Bible, but extra biblical, which means other historians from that same time period, other historians have written, and there are accounts that you can find that Paul went to Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome, and that's where Acts 28 ends, is him being imprisoned in Rome. Now, these other historical writings reference that Paul went to Rome, had his hearing before the emperor, and was released. And so there is speculation that he was released, and he had a time of ministry for a couple of years, and then he was re-imprisoned, and on the second imprisonment is where he lost his head. Most scholars think that Second Timothy was written during this second imprisonment. Paul knows he's getting ready to die. Paul knows his time is short, so he's writing this letter to a man that he did a lot of life with. He's writing this letter to a man he spent a lot of time, invested a lot in, and it's kind of a, one of the terminologies, a, a swan song, if you think. You know, kind of like, this is my final correspondence to you, and I just kind of want to just instill as much wisdom in you as possible. Anybody ever heard of Nero? He's the emperor during this time, the Roman emperor during this time. Now this is something else that you will find from extra-biblical historical writings around this time period. He's in Rome. He's the emperor of Rome, the big cat daddy um, of Rome and the Roman Empire. And he had gone to many of the people in the Senate and many of the other people in the government and said, Hey, I want to rebuild these sections of town. I want to uh, remodel them and upfit them and, and do all these things. And there were people that came and said, No, we don't have the money. No, we We can't do that. And then there was a fire. A fire broke out, destroyed, coincidentally, all the portions of the city that Nero had said he wanted to rebuild and remodel. After the fire, all these Romans are looking around going, who's to blame? People died. There was a lot of loss of property, a big impact into the city. Who is to blame? And so it is said in some historical writings that then Nero, who many think that he was the one that started or had it started, but he then turned and blamed the Christians for being the ones that started the fire and built up this whole story how they were to blame and so therefore you have a great persecution and then broke out on the Christians during this period of time. Great persecution that reached all throughout the Roman Empire. Domitian came after that and he continued the persecution upon the Christians. It was said that Nero was so evil, so maniacal that he would take Christians And he would soak them in tar. And then he would crucify them up on a pole. And then light them on fire. So they could then illuminate his gardens at night. Can you just imagine? It's one thing being hung up on a pole. It's another thing being burned alive. But putting the tar on you so you burn slowly as a lantern. Or as some type of a human torch. That's how evil this guy was. So Paul is in prison. Paul 
is writing to Timothy, who's pastoring where? Ephesus. He's at Ephesus. Remember, that's the first Timothy. So he's in Ephesus. He's pastoring. Paul had spent over two years in Ephesus. It says in the book of Acts that while he was in Ephesus, the entire known region around Ephesus heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have Paul, and he's sitting here in prison. He knows that he's going to die, most likely. He just doesn't know how he's going to die. Probably at this time, he's well advanced in his years. He's tired. He's wore out. He's faced all the persecutions, all all the hostilities and yet he's still sitting in prison knowing that his time is coming to an end and he has this son if you will in the faith that is pastoring down in Ephesus knowing he's having a difficult time knowing he's facing discouragement knowing he's facing trials and struggles knowing the difficulties that he's facing and he wants to write him a final letter of encouragement that is where we're at in 2 Timothy now, 2 Timothy has how many chapters? Four. Four. So what we're going to do tonight is I just want to bring out four different um, points that Paul makes in these four chapters, trying to, trying to be judicious with your time, but four different points that Paul brings out to Timothy as ways and ideas. This is how you persevere as a pastor. And as we are here tonight, I'm hoping that you can look at these also. And be encouraged and say, this is how I persevere as a Christian. And this is how I endure as a Christian. So, we're not going to read every single verse in uh, 2 Timothy. Of course, four chapters. Feel free to go back and read. There's more than we're going to look through at tonight. Before... Different ways that Paul highlights that we can persevere as a Christian, specifically how Timothy can persevere as a pastor. First one, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's look at verse 8. Starting in verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. He writes to Timothy and he says, you get this all the way back up there in verse 8, do not be ashamed. He then goes all the way through verse 8 down through verse 12. And and your Bibles, I don't think your Bibles would be that much different, but if you look at your Bible, verse 8 all the way down through the first part of verse 12 is one sentence. There's commas and there will be things that kind of put a pause there, but Try to look down through there and see if you see any periods. It goes back to Ephesians chapter 1 where there's like 10 verses and it's all just one giant run on sentence. So this is one thought. And the thought that Paul is giving to Timothy is do not be ashamed of who you are. And he starts with the positive. If you get into a a speech class or a communication class, they will tell you that everything you say always needs to be in the positive. Because if you say it in the negative, it turns people away. It always needs to be said in the positive. So you rephrase something always in the positive. When Jaylene and I were going through training to be DHS, uh, a DHS family, that was one of the things they stressed. You always put it in the positive. And I'm thinking, well, sometimes they need to hear that they're not 
always positive. I mean, sometimes you just got to be frank about it. But what Paul does is he starts off and he realizes, Timothy, you're not in the easiest place to serve. You're not in the easiest place to live. But remember the good things. Remember the positive things. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. He says, do not be ashamed. And then he goes on to list all of these reasons why Timothy should not be ashamed. Now, what does that do for us? When he says, do not forget about the testimony about our Lord. Don't don't forget, verse 8, to share in his sufferings. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He mentions Christ Jesus in verse 9. He mentions the manifestation and the appearance of Christ Jesus in verse 10. He mentioned the fact that Jesus brought life and immortality through the gospel in verse 10. And he says, don't forget about all of these things. Because there's lots of things that... Timothy was facing that you and I may face today. Maybe like fear of man. We get around people. People aren't nice to us. People are mean to us. People are rude. People are inconsiderate. And we might get in a tendency. We might start fearing man. We're scared of what they might say. We're scared about what they do to us. We start being more concerned about the man than we are the God. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is do not be ashamed of who you are. Do not be so consumed with fear of man or also opinion of man or even maybe also the doubt of man. Spring of 2011, Jaylene and I were attending Wilson Missionary Baptist Church. And that church went through a storm showed up it may have been the fall of 2010 it was somewhere right in there got there in a, in a business meeting and it was eat the preacher night and it got ugly and right about that same period of time I had surrendered to the ministry of the, under Brother Dennis and so <clears throat> the normal habit was is Brother Dennis and Brother Doug and myself and then Chris um Evans, we would all four come together one night a week and we just talk about what does ministry look like and, and tips and I, you know and ideas and just coaching and mentoring and training and discipleship and all that stuff was going on. And so we went through just that horrendous business meeting, whatever it was. It was it was just a really bad night at the church. I come in that next evening and I'm like I don't know what this guy is going to do. If I was Brother Dennis, I would have just gone home, packed my bags, and said, I'm going to Mexico for a couple weeks. You all figure it out. I'm out of here. Because it was just terrible. I mean, it's one thing to disagree with a guy. It's another thing to try to cut out his throat in front of everybody. And I remember I walked in to Brother Dennis' study there, and he had his Bible open, and he was reading 2 Timothy. And as we all sat down... He read to us the entire book of 2 Timothy. And his point was, is that guys, you're going to face a lot of challenges in this world. But instead of turning to yourself, or instead of turning to someone else, or instead of turning to your boo-hoos and your pity parties, you turn to the Word of God. 
And that spoke volumes to me. Now there's things that Brother Dennis and I um, probably wouldn't agree on today. But there's also things that I would go and I would fight in the fiercest battles with that man even today. Because when I sit, when I sit there, it wasn't that he was fearful of man. He was wanting to be the pastor that God had called him to be. And he was sitting there and he was saying, yes, it might look bleak. Yes, there is challenges in front of us, but we don't have any reason to be ashamed of who we are in Jesus. Sometimes this world will try to get you and I to feel fearful, to be quiet, to be timid about our faith and about our walk. And Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed. There is no reason that we need to apologize for who we are in Jesus. There is no reason that we need to go around and being concerned about what people might think about who Jesus is. There's no reason we got to go around and apologize for being faithful to Him. There's no reason that we got to go around and make excuses why we're going to be obedient to God more so than we're going to be obedient to man. There's no reason that we got to go around qualifying everything. Well, because I believe in God, therefore I can't participate in your rank disobedience. There's no reason. Not that we have to go around and be hostile. We don't have to go around being obnoxious. But he says, do not be ashamed of who you are. There's a second piece that he gives you there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's go all the way down to verse 22. First part of chapter 1, he says, do not be ashamed of who you are, Timothy. Don't, don't retreat. Don't give up. Know who you are. 2 Timothy chapter 22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with the foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, and patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The second one I want you to see is to pursue spiritual fruit. Go back to Galatians. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that right? Okay. So he says, those are the fruits of the Spirit. Well, you get here in verse 22, and he says, all right, Timothy, put away all that childish, put away all that immaturity, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are elements of the fruit of the Spirit. He says, pursue that spiritual fruit. Why? Because if you're not doing that, what are you going to end up doing? You're going to end up finding yourself doing what? Ah, verse 23, controversies. Verse 23, quarrels. Verse 24, quarrels. Verse 25, opponents. He said, if you want, you can always find someone that wants to argue. That's my problem with Facebook. Or as RJ said a couple of Sundays ago, faceplant. That's my, that's my biggest issue with social media. Because if you want to find somebody to disagree and argue with you, social media is the place to go. There's always someone on there willing to be a coward with a megaphone telling you what they think, why they think, and why you're wrong for thinking what you think. That doesn't help. Getting embroiled in the controversies does not help. Spending time in the quarrels do not help. 
Yes, you have opponents because of who you are in Jesus Christ. You don't need to go around looking for someone to oppose. You have sin. You have darkness. You have lostness. You have all of these things around you. And so what Paul tells Timothy, Hey, Timothy, pursue spiritual fruit. Forget getting entangled with all of those things that will just drag you down. Last two years, two plus years, this whole COVID thing has been a great point of potential division. Now I know in this room, there's difference of opinions. On mask, no mask, shot, no shot, booster, no booster. There's a lot of different opinions. And you know, it would be tempting to use this lectern or that pulpit to go off of my own personal opinions or personal ideas. The fact of the matter is that's not a spiritual issue. I'm not saying you're wrong for having an opinion. I've got plenty of opinions. You come around the McConnell household and you will find out we've got an opinion on everything. (laughs) We have an opinion on anything and everything. You want to know if I have an opinion? I have an opinion. And do I have confidence that my opinion is the right opinion? Absolutely. I wouldn't have it if it wasn't the right one. And I listen to enough of a variety of people that I have a lot of people speaking my ear hole saying, you know what? This is right. This is wrong. I am a very opinionated person. I'm also a very conservative person politically. I'm also a very conservative person when it comes to morality. I'm a very conservative person when it comes to social issues. Problem is, is that 99.9% of them are not spiritual issues. And we can get involved and broiled in those debates and in those discussions. And what Paul says is they are controversies, they are quarrels. All you're doing is digging up opponents. For several years, I was under the pastoral leadership of a man, and he would stand behind the pulpit and he would preach, preach, preach. And then when he'd want to go mount on his soapbox, He would walk from behind the pulpit and he would step down on the floor level and figuratively step on his soapbox and he'd go off about what he thought personally. And then when he got ready to go back to preacher mode, he would come back up and he'd step back up those stairs and he'd step back behind that pulpit and he would come down and he'd go up. And it was like a signal. You knew. You knew. When this gentleman walked down on the floor, he was no longer speaking thus saith the Lord. He was speaking thus saith him. Right? Now I realize there's sometimes that you need to warn the sheep of stuff the sheep aren't paying attention to. And I understand there's a place for that. But there's also a church down in Edmond that got really super political. And you come into the church and they've got pictures of the Constitution and they and they started making a big emphasis on, 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 on the government and, and on the Constitution and all this stuff. And they, they really went to seed on the government side of church ministry. Some of that stuff just doesn't have its place. I've got opinions politically and I'd be happy to tell you my opinions politically. But from the pulpit, I don't feel like they have a place. Why? Because you and I can get embroiled in a lot of things that are controversies, quarrels, and all we're doing is digging for opponents. Should we be informed? Yes. Is it unfortunate that we have some people that are just being led around by the hand by MSDNC, as former President Trump said the other day? Yes. 
Unfortunately, there's people being led around by MSDNC. And yes, I want you to be informed. It's MSNBC. Is the name of the is the name of the channel, but he changed it to MSDNC because it's the Democratic National Convention. So he twisted it around. I'm sorry, I should have had to qualify that. No, I'm not sorry. So I'm not ashamed. So, but he it was just a play on words saying, "Hey, a lot of our mainstream media is censored and it is skewed." Do I think it's good to be informed? Absolutely. Do I think it's good to uh, not be uh, a sheeple and just being led around by the nose by our government or by our society or by people that say trust the science? Absolutely. Please do not think that I'm saying believe anything you read on fake book or face plant. Absolutely. I'm all for being informed and being aware. There's also a side of our spiritualness that we've got to be careful. Because it's a lot more gratifying to the flesh to go digging for the controversies, to go digging for the quarrels, and to go and try to champion the opponents. So what Paul says to Timothy is you want to persevere in ministry, understand that there are those potholes, there are those ways you can stub your toe all around you, and they're called controversy, quarrels, and opponents. And you got to be careful, and you got to be knowledgeable that when you go around, there will be people, and they will want to argue, and then you sometimes just look at them and go, you know what? You have your opinion, I have mine, we're going to move on down the road. Bless your heart, we're going to, I'm not, I'm not going to get stuck in this embroilment. I'm not going to get stuck in where we need to be at. So if you come up to me, and you say, preacher, I think we should have a stance on the church on how long a woman's hair should be. I'm going to say, you can have your opinion, we're not going to discuss it. We're not going to say, oh, we're going to serve a church's Lipton tea and not Cain's tea. I, it's, 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 a, it's a non-starter for me. Sometimes we can be drawn into those battles. Sometimes we can be drawn into those arguments. So he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, pursue spiritual fruit. Then, third one, third one, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 through 9 is all about the times we're living in today. And I would encourage you to go back and read verse 1-9 through because he talks about these are the days we're living in. But, follow on down, down to verse 14. He says, But as for you, talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing that from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures be that by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He wants to remind Timothy, yes, do not be ashamed. Yes, pursue spiritual fruit. But then the third one I want you to see is trust God's word. He, he, he lays out, verse 1, all the way down through verse 13, he lays out all these things this world is going to throw at us. All these things this world is going to bring in front of us. All these things are going to try to distract us and get us off point. And he says, trust God's word. And that's why he says, remember what you have learned. That's verse 14. Remember what you have believed in. That's verse 14. And then he tells him in verse 17, don't forget, with God's word you are equipped. All throughout our time, we will constantly be be plagued with the doubt. The doubt of, is this the right thing we should do? The doubt of, is this from God? The doubt of, maybe I've made a mistake. The doubt of, the doubt of, the doubt of, the doubt of. And you and I can get so consumed with paranoia and doubt. 
Well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should try something different. Maybe I, maybe I offended them. <clears throat> maybe I just need to be quiet. Maybe I don't need to mess with this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I just need to retreat. Maybe I just need to back up. Maybe I just need to soften up. Maybe I just need to compromise. Maybe I just need to capitulate. Maybe I just need to quit, quit being so hard-headed. Maybe I should get along with the times. Maybe I should adjust my convictions to comfort the sinners. Maybe I should just give in. Maybe I should just stop trying so hard. Maybe I should get so worked up with doubt. We forget the things we've been taught. We forget the things we've learned. We forget to trust God's Word. If God's Word says it's wrong, it's wrong. Period. It's not a matter of definition. And it's not a matter of degree. If it's God's Word, and it's wrong, it's wrong. And I, I, I've been beat over the head by my own family. Well, you just need to soften up. I'll soften up as soon as God's Word softens up. I'll soften up as soon as you find me the updated version from God that says, hey, compromise is a good thing. No, the Bible says stand on the convictions and the truthfulness of God's Word. And so he's writing to Timothy and says, Timothy, trust in God's Word. The doubt will always be there. The people that want you to give, the people who want you to back up, the people that want you to give in, the people that want you to soften, all they're wanting you to do is help make them feel comfortable in their disobedience. But that's difficult. It's difficult when we're faced with that challenge. We want to be nice. Well, if you loved me, we want to be encouraging. We don't always be hateful. We don't always be rude. But what what does Paul tell Timothy? Trust God's Word. That doesn't mean we need to go around and be rude. doesn't mean we're going to be mean. But we can at least say this is what God's Word says. So if this is what God's Word says, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God's Word. And as a preacher, not only do you realize I'm not going to be ashamed, I'm going to pursue spiritual fruit, but then I'm going to trust God's Word. Why? The preceding verses here in chapter 3 say, you know what, there's going to be all kinds of godlessness, there's going to be all kinds of people running in, all kinds of people running out. You can't be so worked up with the appearance and the opinion of the culture. Because you're going to be strung in a thousand different directions if you're constantly checking the wind. He says, trust God's Word. But but then here's the last one. Here's the last one. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1. The last one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Now, you may say, oh, well, so Spence, this is just for you, because it says preach, and I am not a preacher, so therefore, Spence, that is only for you. Ha, ha. Well, the problem is, is you go back to that word, that word means to preach or proclaim. What are you proclaiming? You're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what have all of us in this room been told to do? To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So therefore, this is applicable to all of us. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time has come and people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. So he says, Timothy, you want to persevere in the pastor. Christian, you want to persevere in your walk with the Lord. Do not be ashamed. Pursue spiritual fruit, trust in God's word and preach the word. Not the emotions, not the feelings, not the popular ideologies of the day. You preach the word. Why? Verse 3. For the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching and having eighteen years they will clue in for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So he's saying, Timothy, be someone that is always being a source of truth. Why? Because the time is coming. I would tell you the time is now. When you have people that identify as a Christian, that because they don't like what this guy is saying, because, oh, he's a little bit hard, he steps on my toes, he's, he, he's a little bit tough to follow, they go find someone else that makes them happy, that pleases them, that is more fun to listen to and doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. And so you can, at your house or on your phone or right here in Wilson, you can go find someone that will tickle that ear. And you may say, well, Spencer, there's nothing wrong with that person's preaching. That, that person's preaching is, is just fine. The problem we're having in today's culture is that the majority of preachers, whether they are male or female, the majority of preachers are saying 90% of the right things, but it's the 10% that is wrong. I tried to look it up and try to find the name of the novel, and I couldn't find it. But when I was 20, 25 years ago, I remember reading this novel, this fictional novel, and it was set in um, Russia. And what Russia was doing is they had... Um, um, taken all the POWs from the Vietnam War. Vietnam War. They'd taken all the POWs. Russia had got them from Vietnam. They had shipped them to Russia and they had set them up in these camps. And they had pretty much set up these Americanized cities deep in the heart of Russia. And the idea was, is you had these Americans living in an Americanized city and they would take Russian spies that were in training and have them live with these Americanized people. And so these Russian spies would learn all the metaphors, all the ways to talk, all the customs, all the cultures, all the uh, peculiarities of what it means to be American. So these Russian spies are being trained to live as an American. So then when they went to America as a Russian spy, you couldn't tell the difference because of how they talked, how they behaved, how they ate their food, what they liked to eat. And it was this whole setup that was set up in this novel. Except for when the Russians would play cards with the Americans The Americans knew what they were doing, but they couldn't help it because they were pretty much indentured slaves. So the Americans were teaching them how to play cards, but teaching them the wrong rules. So instead of the ace being the high card, the two was the high card. And as the novel goes, there's a there's an American that gets somehow he gets put into that Americanized city there in Russia, and he's sitting at this table and he's watching this card game go on. This guy that the one that's the narrator in the story realizes that the Americans are teaching the Russians the wrong things, but then he comes to realize that the reason why he's doing it is because Americans that's their way of trying to 
conditioned those Russians so when they're playing with Americans later on in spy game in the United States, it might be just a little bitty thing that might trip that American in America off that this person is wrong. Does that make sense? Fascinating. Fascinating concept. What does it have to do with today? <laughs> because there's people today, people standing in pulpits, speaking for the Word of God, that are just tweaking. Tweaking the truth. Tweaking what God's Word says. And sometimes you don't catch it if you're not listening. Sometimes you don't even pick up on it if you're not really digging into it. But it's just these little bitty things that they're conditioning you not to believe in Jesus Christ, but to believe in the power of man. And they have just these oh so little tendencies. And it sounds mostly right, but it's a little bit wrong. But yet we keep going back to them because they're good motivational speakers. We keep going back to them because they make us feel good. We keep going back to them because they have some really good illustrations. We keep going back to them because we like what they have to say. We keep going back to them not realizing that what we're doing is just getting our ears tickled. I don't know if you've ever heard of T.D. Jakes. Rank heretical preacher. But I went through a season that I was watching his sermons. Because the man is a master at illustrating the Word of God. But what he's doing is he's teaching people a false picture of what it means to be a Christian. Because being a Christian is not about sacrifice and obedience and faithfulness to God and His Word. It's about trying hard and meaning well and doing good works and giving money. And we've got to be careful. And, and, and how do we how do we combat that? How do we combat that? Well, he says, verse 2, Be ready in season and out of season. For what? To proclaim or preach God's Word. To reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what's the expectation? The expectation that Paul has for Timothy is, Timothy, you know God's Word well enough that you know the difference between a fake and a genuine thing. And Christian, you know God's Word well enough that you know the difference between a fake and And the genuine thing. And it's important. Because if we don't know, then we won't be able to tell the people that are preaching God's word apart from those that are just tickling ears. And it's big money. You watch Jesse Duplantis. The man's not the man's not hurting. I watched a special of his and he comes pulling up in front of his large house and he's on some fancy chromed out trike bicycle and he pulls up and he smiles at the camera he's like, oh look what the Lord's blessed me with look what the Lord's blessed me with and all these people you're fleecing for money I watched Kenneth Copeland try to explain why he needed a three million dollar private jet and it wasn't just because I need to get from point A to point B faster. Part of his reason, and you can find this on YouTube, part of his reason was because he, when he gets on a commercial airline, that commercial airline is filled with demons. And those demons oppress his soul and oppress his spirit. And he can't do no studying and be ready for the God, Word of God. That's why he needs a $3 million private jet so he can be free from that spiritual oppression. 
Satan can be in that commercial jet the same way that Satan can be in that private jet. That's right. Yeah. He can be wherever he wants to be at. Yeah. But yet, I heard Kenneth Copeland. Oh, no. Oh, no. All that justification. People are out there just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we need to buy Brother Copeland. Brand new jet. We need to do that for Brother Copeland. We need to do that for Brother... Be careful. Be careful. Yeah. Uh, people tickling your ears. So what does is, what is Paul tell Timothy? How do we do it? We preach the Word. Why is preaching the Word a sore, a, a form of remedy? Because in order to preach the Word, you got to know the Word. And if you're going to preach the Word, you got to know the Word. And know the Word, you got to be in the Word. And be in the Word, you're going to be able to understand what is real for what is fake. So that is why he's saying this is how you persevere. You don't be ashamed. You pursue spiritual fruit, not secular controversies and quarrels. You trust in God's Word, and then you preach the Word. And that's how you persevere. Well, how does that apply to my personal life? Well, that applies to your personal life because you find yourself in a point of struggling. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You find yourself in a point where you're doubting. Yeah, those controversies, those quarrels will be there. Pursue the things of God. You get in a point where you start saying, well, I don't know if God's really on my side or not. Well, I don't understand what that person's got this. Trust God's Word. And you start wandering around whether is that person genuine? Is that person genuine? Is that person authentic? Is that person just a fake? You preach God's Word. You know God's Word. And you trust in God's Word. Why? Because there will be people not enduring sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's one last part of this that i got to tell you about. That could happen even to this church. People come in with expectations. Oh, well, this church is going to be like this, and this church can be like that. And when the church doesn't compromise, when the church doesn't give in, when the church doesn't just accept any old idea that people come to the table with, people may say, you know what? This isn't the place for me. And that's hard. That's difficult when people leave. And I never want a single person to leave. But if we're going to be faithful to God's Word, we understand that there will be some people that will come and they're not coming for God's Word. They're coming because their ears itch. And we got to be careful. And we got to be cautious. And we got to understand that these are the times that we're living in. So what do we do? We look out on a Sunday morning and there may be itching ears and there may be genuine hearts. So what do we do? All you with itching ears, leave? No! 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 You tell them the truth! You tell them the truth! Why? Because you never know when God may be ready to convert an itching heart, itching ear, to a genuine follower of His. So you just preach the Word. You're faithful. You're honest. And you persevere in what God has given you. That is what we do as believers. And that is what we do as a church. As a pastor, as a church, that's how we persevere.
Other thoughts? Questions? Things I didn't make clear? It's hard sometimes to keep that God you know, look which is like the Hallmark movies. We just really used to enjoy them and then you see two guys kiss and shut it off. And it's just a shame. But the other flip-flop side of it is there was quite a few of them actors that have started another good Christian Disney. Thirty years ago, Disney was a different Disney. Oh yeah. Thirty years ago, Disney had different agenda. And then, whenever they made the change, they didn't put out some type of a news announcement. That said, "Hey, we're Disney. We're going to indoctrinate your children." They never said anything. And they started doing it incrementally. Mm-hmm. And if 15 years ago you said, I'm against Disney, you can't be against Mickey Mouse. Right. I'm not against Mickey Mouse. I'm against Mickey Mouse and Mr. Mouse. Yeah. That's what I'm against. And they have continued to veer and oof. It's, it's tough. I, I envy you because you got your kids raised before more of this nonsense went on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this younger generation has got it so, so tough. I mean, it's just, you know, these darn phones anymore. I mean, media. personally, I think y'all have a basket at each door. And everybody will drop their phones in Sunday morning and not pick it up to Sunday night. I mean, that's just my two cents. But, you know, I mean, it's become where. You gotta have it. I mean, I throw mine away. I have no problem. I can toss that. It's still fine. It's still. I can do what. I'm just saying. It's just we get to me. That's what's getting. I mean, it's like my glasses. That's the first thing I put on in the morning. That's the last thing I take off at night. I depend on them. Right. So many people depending on their phones for. Everything and, and, and there's good in it too. Like, sure, but just like you said, it just gradually, uh, just gradually keep working it in there. It's just right, right, yeah. Hmm. Okay, at 45 Sunday morning, Sunday school, 10:45 morning service. We're gonna do the lunch and after the morning service. Uh, for the first impression safety team, if you would like to be part of that ministry, you're going to do a lunch and afterwards you can be there and explain kind of what they're looking at for that. Um, Sunday the 5th? Yeah. I think it's the 5th. We're going to do I was meaning to do it on the 5th Sunday of the month and I dropped the ball. So Sunday the 5th we're going to do a Lord's Supper and then like a family meal that evening um, on that first it'll be the first Sunday of February it's supposed to be the fifth it's supposed to be the fifth Sunday of January and I dropped the ball and it's my fault so but we're going to do that on January or February the fifth we're going to do the Lord's Supper and do like a family meal like we've done in the past maybe some other stuff that night but just have a, a sweet time of fellowship here at the church so that's going to be coming up uh, yeah yeah 
Yes, his men's prayer time at seven thirty, I think, in this room. Yeah. So next, next, tomorrow, tomorrow at seven thirty, right here in this room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, well, I appreciate you all being here. I appreciate your patience. Appreciate your encouragement. And uh, let's go rescue some kids. Charles, would you close us in a word of prayer?